Well, good morning again. Uh, we have a group uh, up uh, up the mountain, uh, middle school students and their leadership, as well as a number of people are gone this weekend. But we're excited that you're here and uh, looking forward to what God has for us. We're in the middle of a series, uh, actually not the middle, the beginning of a series, Questions Asked and Answered. And it's really a series in which we're desiring to, to really understand this book, particularly understanding the New Testament. If this book is what we really believe it is, it's a book from... God, then it uh, behooves us that we might uh, desire to understand God's message to us. And so that that should be an active learning process. And and to really learn it, we need to understand its big picture as well as the the minutiae, the detail within it. And and so that's what we're trying to do as we go through this series, kind of giving a a survey of uh, that last third of God's revelation to us, the New Testament. And so far, we've uh, we've examined the Gospels. And really, the word gospel is known as the good news, but it's also known as God's story. And if you're familiar at all with the New Testament, uh, we have four renditions of the story of Jesus. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, this morning we have an opportunity to look at um, the gospel or God's story according to Luke. If you were to study the the language of the New Testament, the Greek um, language, Koine Greek, you would have a title for the Gospel of Luke, and be kata lukan, which simply means according to Luke. Now, in this, uh, we have the opportunity to really hear his side of the story. And, of course, we believe it's inspired by God, that God superintended upon him, using his own personalities and experiences and language uh, to give us the story. But it's given from his perspective. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to read this the first few verses of that. And then I, then I want this morning, as we prepare our hearts for communion, and just a reminder of that, when we get to that part in our worship experience, we have the two tables to my left and right. And it's an opportunity for you to uh, receive communion as uh, God uh, uh, intends upon your heart. Uh, and you're to come up to the table, uh, take the elements, go back to your um, place of, of, uh, that you're sitting at, and just remember the Lord and what He's done for you. But as we look at Luke, uh, looking at the first few verses of Luke chapter 1, we have what's called the prologue or the introduction of this particular uh, account, and it reads this way, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also which is a humble way to saying the Lord put it on his heart um, and instructed him, having had perfect understanding of all the things from the very first, to write you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of these things in which you were instructed. And and so you have the desire of Luke uh, to present a gospel, and it's the most comprehensive and precise of the details of the life of Jesus, so that we might understand it completely and clearly, uh, those things that God has brought into pass as He sent His Son for us. Now, as we have shared with you already, the, the four stories of the life of Jesus are, are given for us from a different perspective for a reason. Uh, Matthew presented Jesus as the Messiah King. Matthew, being Jewish, uh, saved out of that experience of being a a rebel against the cause of, Christ, of cause of God as a tax collector, and God broke into his world through his son and brought him to faith and, and really convinced them that what was said about Jesus in the Old Testament was true and fulfilled completely by him. And then you had Mark, 
And Mark presented Jesus not so much as the Messiah King because his audience was not primarily Jewish, but it was much more Roman. And, and they wanted to see if God became a man, we want to see him in action. I mean, just show it to us. And so they saw Jesus, he presented Jesus as a servant, which was radically different from the perspective as you would think uh, one who would come from God would be. But Jesus came as the perfect servant. And, and then you'll see John as we, in a number of weeks, look at the, the, the presentation of Jesus through the eyes of John. You'll see Jesus primarily presented as not simply man, but as God. But Luke takes a different perspective. Luke writes from a Greek perspective, and he presents Jesus as not only the Son of Man, but as the perfect man. And, and so this is important as you look through this story of Jesus, Katalukan, according to Luke. It's, it's written to a Roman audience, a, a more a Greek audience, and presenting Jesus as the perfect man. But before we look at kind of the big picture of Luke for a moment, let's, let's look at the author. And again, we need to understand that, you know, God could have presented us his book uh, in a variety of different ways, but he used men throughout the ages uh, called by God to present the truth that God gives to them. Now, now Luke, interesting enough, is the only Gentile writer, the non-Jewish writer of the four Gospels. You have both uh, Matthew, Mark, and John of Jewish descent. And Luke was Gentile, probably of Greek descent. And as we think about him, he was a rather learned man. If you're familiar at all about the story of Luke, he was a doctor. And interesting enough, unlike the letters of the Apostle Paul later on, is that we don't have any record of him writing his name in not only Luke, but the sequel, which is the book of Acts. You have Luke 1 and you Luke 2. Luke and Acts. Is that you don't have him writing. In fact, in all the New Testament, you have his name only mentioned three times. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Philemon 24, and Colossians 4, 14. And, and what you see here is that you see a little bit into the life of Luke. First of all, Luke was a close companion of the Apostle Paul. He, he went on a number of the missionary journeys, and one of the reasons we know that because in the book of Acts, he used the editorial we. He doesn't mention himself, doesn't glorify himself, but he puts the we within the whole account of that story which is the story, the church, the, the work of the Holy Spirit through the lives of followers of Jesus Christ. In Philemon and in Colossians, you find out that he is a physician. But not only a physician, but as Paul records, he is a beloved physician. Now, all of us have had the experience of having to go to a doctor. And there are beloved doctors, and then there are unbeloved doctors. And, and you see... This one is one not only who was competent, but also was compassionate. Which is interesting as you read through the account of Luke, you'll, you'll find that, that many of the healings of Jesus are highlighted. And that's is somewhat you would expect from Luke's perspective. And you see not only does he have the power and ability to bring back people who are ill and sick and even dead to life, but you see the compassion. And isn't that really what we want from a physician? We want them to be not only competent, but we want them to be compassionate. And that's true in any of the the health services. You want a nurse who knows what she's doing, or he, but you also want them to be caring and loving. And you see this through the words of Luke, but not only in terms of maybe coming from his perspective, but you see that of Jesus. For you see, Jesus, among a number of word pictures about him, he, he is the great physician. And he's great not only in that he's so powerful and competent, 
and is able to accomplish what needs to be done. But he's so compassionate. And so people were eager to come to him and not run from him. Because he was one, when he saw needs, met them with love and care. And so you have this story written through the eyes of someone who was a physician, a caring, loving one. But interesting enough, you have it written from a perspective unlike the other three Gospels, or at least particularly two of them. For in Matthew's case and John's case, they were eyewitnesses. What they, re- what they wrote is what they saw, what they experienced. Now, Mark was an eyewitness, at least in some of the accounts, because it's quite possible, as I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago, that he was the, he was the first streaker, maybe, recorded for us. He, he was in that experience where Jesus betrayed, took off, and they grabbed his clothing, and all of a sudden he ran away naked. He's not named there, but most writers think it was probably Mark. And so he saw some of what happened with Jesus, but he was relying most on what Peter said to him. But Luke, as far as we know, didn't experience any of it, that he had to do detailed historical investigation to find out precisely what had happened to Jesus. And just just for free this morning, if you're like me at all, sometimes don't you wish that you had been there? I mean, wouldn't this have been an awesome experience with Jesus when he did all those miracles and he taught all those powerful lessons of life and you you saw not only his power but his love? And Don't don't you wish you could be there? But but if you're like me, again, at all, uh, often what you experience, if you don't record, you what? You forget. And in many ways, we have so much more than those who are even eyewitnesses of, of the, the life of Jesus himself because we can look back at what was recorded. And so in many ways, we are, we are kind of like Luke, having to investigate what really happened and then to carefully respond to it. Now, interesting enough to hear a little Bible trivia, I hate to put those two words together, Bible and trivia, <laughs> but uh, and this is for Karen, who kind of likes these kind of things, is that is, is, you look at the writers in the New Testament, you, you can see that the Apostle Paul was one who, who wrote the most books, but you want to know who wrote the most verses? And what are we, who, which author are we studying right now? Luke. He wrote 2,138 verses, write this down, Karen, and Paul wrote 2,033 And so we have a prolific writer of the New Testament. In fact, he wrote more verses than anyone else. I didn't count the words this week. But anyway, that's the verses. And so we have someone here who wanted to communicate to us clearly and precisely, comprehensively about the story of Jesus. So this morning, I'm going to give you an overview. Next week, we're going to look at a little bit more detail of the contents of the book of Luke. And then we're going to center in on, on the heart of Jesus. A little review from even the perspective last week we looked at. But see, particularly from Luke, an angle that we need to look at if, if we're really going to be in love with the one who is perfect. If you have your outline this morning, you might want to look at a couple things. Again, Luke's gospel is the son of man as the perfect man. Now, if you look at that, we're not saying that Jesus is a perfect man because he was GQ. 
<laughs> in fact, if you look at Isaiah chapter 53, God, in his, in his great wisdom, decided as he brought himself into this world, chose not to present him as a man that people were attracted to simply because of his physical stature. In, in many ways, uh, the Greeks liked not only the, the, the wisdom of a man, but the, the physical stature of a man. But we find from Isaiah 53, he wasn't necessarily GQ, but he was the perfect man. And basically, as you look through the, the Gospel of Luke, you can kind of outline it in very simple ways. In chapters 1 through 4, you have basically the birth and preparation of the perfect man. And we'll look back in a moment about something that we need to understand about Jesus as those hidden years are described by Luke in one verse. And then in chapters 5 through 9, you have the miracles and the message of the perfect man. In many ways, as, as I wrestle with the reality, is Jesus really who he claimed to be? I mean, should we really believe that Jesus is the Son of Man, the Son of God? And often I'm just, I'm just struck with this question. If God were to become a man, what would he be like? And the answer is Jesus. And, and one of the ways we know it is because of the miracles and the message of Jesus, his actions and his words, pick that he had to be. How else can you explain him? And so Luke goes in detail, sharing the miracles and the message of the perfect man. And then in chapters 10 through 19, you have the acceptance and rejection of the perfect man. And that, isn't that interesting? We would think, well, if he was perfect, why wouldn't everybody run to him? Because they had the same problem that we have today, and that is sin. We're, we're self-centered people, and we don't want to surrender our lives to this one who is perfect and calling us to him. And so you have the story of the acceptance and the rejection of the perfect man. And then you have the end of the story in terms of the, the record of when he was here. You have the crucifixion, chapters 20 through 24, and the resurrection of the perfect man. But I mentioned to you that, that I'd show you the one verse that really summarizes all those hidden years. You know, we really have the majority about the life of Jesus in terms of after he got baptized. And then we have the most detail in terms of his crucifixion and resurrection. What happened between his birth, which we understand as what season of the year? Christmas, his birth. Some of you are anticipating what I'm saying, okay? You know, his birth is Christmas, Easter is resurrection, all right? And crucifixion. All right, In, in chapter... 2 verses 52 we really have the summary of those in between years Luke chapter 2 verse 52 Luke writes this and Jesus increased in wisdom in stature and in favor with God and man and, and during those uh, period of time between when he went to uh, he was born he went to the temple and they were wondering where he was, and he said, hey, I'm about my father's business. What happened between those years and, and when he was baptized by, by John is that he, he grew. He grew in stature, in wisdom, and in favor with God and man. He grew just like we grow, physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. Now, obviously, God could have planted himself here on earth instantly at 30 or whatever, whatever age exactly he was and he started his ministry. But he brought him through all the cycles of life that he would be able to empathize with us in every way. And, and Jesus went through the maturation process. He grew physically, he grew spiritually, he grew mentally, socially, emotionally, 
And, and those are the hidden years. And then he's launched out into ministry, and, and he's calling people to himself. Next week, we're going to look at the key verse that kind of summarizes the Gospel of Luke. We'll look at the, the chapter that just picks the message of Jesus. But this morning, I, I want to look at the heart of this great physician. And, and not only the heart, but his call for us to have that same heart. I was reading a couple of weeks ago, just popped my mind as I was sharing this morning, um, is that many people struggle with what I'm going to share with you today. Oprah Winfrey uh, grew up in kind of a Baptist-type environment. And, and one Sunday, she heard a message on, the, on, the, on God being a jealous God. And, and when she heard that, she said, well, that, that's not the God I know. That's not the God I have come to hear about. God is love. How could God be jealous? Because as he looked at a, out at a sea of humanity, he is jealous for what is most important for us and for him. He wants what's best for us. And sometimes when he communicates that through not only his own words, but the, 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 the words of his writers, he challenges us to a radical way of thinking and then living. And how can we see that? Because in this book, presenting Jesus as the perfect man, we are left with the challenge are we going to love this perfect man or are we going to hate this perfect man? Because in the end of life, basically that's how we're going to come out. Now, we don't want to put it that way, but really either we're going to love him or hate him. C.S. Lewis said this. You can't just simply look at Jesus and say, well, you know, he's a great man, a great teacher, a good example. He either was a liar or a lunatic, or he was who he claimed to be. He was Lord. Remember, at we uh, at our vision Sunday last Sunday, we we, we looked at, at what's God's call for us as a church, and and we said we are to love Jesus in what place? First, do I need to preach last week's message again today? Okay, remember in Revelation chapter uh, two, he, he had this one thing against this church in Ephesus, which was a great church. He said, "You have left your what kind of love." First, love. And I share with you that very, very profound thought. What that means simply to leave your first love is to simply understand that, that you have now not loved Jesus, what? First. Now, in case sometimes, so I, if you're like me again, I've made that analogy twice now. It, I don't always get it sometimes when people put it in the positive way. Okay, love Jesus first. That sounds like something you'd hear, you know, in Sunday school. All your life, love Jesus first. What does that mean? Well, let me put in the words of Jesus. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. And we'll even back up the truck a little bit. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. Now, isn't that how Jesus got announced? What story was that? What story? That was the Christmas story. All right. 
Some of you are still not with me, okay? Peace on earth and goodwill to men, all right? Well, I, he said, I, I came. You, you think I came to bring peace on earth? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus, uh, didn't, you, didn't you read the Christmas story? I know the people at Grace Hills didn't, but didn't you read the Christmas story? Verse 35, for I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his, her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Sometimes that's not that big of a challenge. But anyway, in verse 36, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Where in the world did this come from? This is, this is out of the words of Jesus? What, meek and mild Jesus? Then he goes on, verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me after, after me is not worthy of me. He who does, finds his life will lose it. And he who loves his life for my sake will find it. If we're to love this perfect man, we need to understand what does that really mean? It, it means that, he, that the Lord Jesus, we love the Lord Jesus first. As we look at every other relationship in our life, he has top priority. Now, we're not going to unpack that this morning, but if you understand the heart of God, that's all for our benefit because we will love others much better when we love God first. And we don't really understand love unless we understand that God's love comes from God. But it means as we look at everything we do, does this reflect that God gets first place? And that others are loved in response to our love for Him. Loving the one who is perfect means, first of all, loving Jesus first. Secondly, it means loving Jesus extravagantly. And if you were in our, one of our life groups this past week or even did the Bible study from last week, this, this is what we looked at. Let's look at one of the other Gospels. Look at Mark chapter uh, 14. Mark chapter 14, we have that story in which... Uh, Again, it challenges, well, if you love Jesus first, what's that going to look like? Because even if I say, okay, uh, Jesus gets first love over my wife and my kids and my friends and everybody else, but what does that, what does that really mean? How will that demonstrate in life? Well, in, in Mark chapter 14, he kind of challenges us to our, to our core. Then he said in verse 3, this story. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leopard, as he sat at, on the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Uh, and who was this woman? Uh, we're not going to take the time to, to give all the details of that. Some feel it was uh, Mary Magdalene. The answer to that is probably not. It was probably Mary, the, the sister of Martha. And if you look at John chapter 12, You'll see that account there. In fact, it says very plainly uh, this story uh, in John chapter 12 uh, where it was they were in Mary, Martha and Lazarus and Mary's home and all of a sudden she took the spikenard and, and did what was recorded here. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has, done, she has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly or truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, 
what this woman has done will also be held as a memorial to her. Now, we studied it this past week, so I'm not going to go in great detail here, but the thing that strikes me about this, 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 uh, this point is put on the, the lower shelf. We can all pick up the cookies there. Is that this woman loved Jesus first, loved him deeply, and it was demonstrated in an extravagant way in how she gave to Jesus. There are two ways that we can really examine how much we love Jesus. One is in our calendar, the time we give Him. And the other is maybe in our checkbook or bank account or whatever you might, wherever you store your money or how you, wherever, wherever, however it's dispensed. And we show we love God by our time and our use of our treasure. Are we investing in the kingdom of God? And it's not a comparison to someone else, but it's in comparison to what God wants to do through you to invest in his kingdom. So as we look at the challenge of of Luke as he presents this perfect one, we have to, well, what does it mean to love him? Well, it means to love him first, and it means to love him extravagantly. But... But what if you're sitting here this morning, and I'm standing here this morning, I say, well, yeah, but what if, what if I don't feel like that all the time? I, we are all kind of uh, strapped to the, the M word often. You know, I, I'm, I'm not very motivated. I, 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 don't, I don't feel like doing that. Well, how do we get motivated to love God first? How do we get motivated to love God extravagantly? Well, let's look at another story, and this is getting now to Luke. Look at Luke chapter 7. And it's interesting, this, the, the story in Mark is probably recorded in three places, Matthew 26, uh, John chapter 12, and in Mark 14. Because the, the, the detail here is different, this is probably not the same story, but a similar story, but with a different major point. Let's, let's pick it up and just read the account, and then I want to just simply close with some points. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, the Bible is pretty clear about the sin condition, not just of a few people in this world, but everybody in this world. And the Bible will describe all of us as we come into this world as what? Sinners. Now, the difference between some sinners and others is some sin is much more public or looked down upon than others. And so it wasn't that Luke wasn't aware of this theological point. You know, she was a sinner. Well, we're all sinners. Why put that in there? But this is a sinner who was, who was looked down upon in her culture. Uh, she was one of those big sinners in their eyes. And, and this was probably, probably a prostitute. An ex-prostitute. Why? Because she had met Jesus. And, and now she was coming to him. And she was in the, visiting Jesus in the home of a Pharisee who was a sinner, but didn't what? Didn't know it. Didn't understand it. Did not recognize it. Or if he did recognize it theologically, it was, it was uh, minimally. Well, you know, I'm not. I know I'm not perfect, 
but I'm a lot better than everybody else. And if I were standing before God, he, he would accept me because I'm really not that bad. And so he didn't see himself as a sinner, though he was a sinner. And isn't that often where we are at? And that's pre and post conversion. Okay, once we come to know Christ, our sins are forgiven, but we still struggle with sin, don't we? And so there's never a reason for God's people to be proud because we're just saved by the grace of God. And we're just on the journey of trying to please Him. And when we mess up, we simply run to Him. Like we ran to Him when we finally understood our sin and His ability to save us from our sin. And so we have this experience. We have two sinners in the room, one who's not, that's Jesus. And this experience goes on. Verse, um, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her, what, tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, the practice of that day is if you went to somebody's house, uh, you know, in our day, if, if it's a, a cold day outside and you're wearing a coat to go into somebody's house, usually when they come in, you say, would you like me to take your coat? And you find a place to do it. Now, in our homes, most of the time, you're supposed to have closets to do that. Our closets are all full, so we just throw it on the bed, and some, you know, this is one of the rooms. But, you know, you, you take the coat, you put it someplace, and then you bring it back out to them. And in that place, the, the common practice when you went into somebody's home was to offer to to wash your feet. And if you were a particular place economically, you didn't have to do it. Your servant did it. Well, that probably didn't get done here. And, and so the woman came in there and didn't, wasn't just washing it with a, a bowl of water, but with her tears. And, and then took an expensive, again, an extravagant expression of her love and poured it on his feet and then didn't wipe it with a towel, but with her hair. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, uh, in other words, he was talking to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a what? Sinner. Now, let me ask you again. What was he? A sinner, but he didn't recognize that. And so as you see his inability to love Jesus first or to love Jesus extravagantly was was circumvented because he didn't recognize that he was a sinner. Great love comes from understanding your position before a great God. And so he didn't feel like qualified. Now, he spoke to himself. Of course, Jesus not only can hear whispers, but he can hear what's going on in people's mind. And so he decides to tell a story. Verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. So one was probably a year and a half salary and the other was maybe a month or so. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And the question was not a difficult one to answer. And so Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And, of course, that's easy to understand. If, if you owed someone um, five bucks, then you owed someone else $5,000, and someone gave you the um, ability to write off the debt for $5 or 5000 which one would you be more appreciative of? And, and so it was an easy answer. He said, well, the one who was owed more. 
So he goes on, he said, and he said to him, you have rightly judged, or you've rightly understood the, uh, the correct answer to this question. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but the woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. What's, what's the key to loving Jesus first? What's the key to loving Jesus extravagantly? Is understanding how much your sin has been forgiven. See, this is what the gospel is. The gospel is not making us better people here on earth, though that should happen. The gospel is not simply getting us into religious activities so, so, so that we might look better to people around us. The gospel is taking people who the wrath of God is upon because of their life before a holy God and, and taking that shame and that sentence of death and applying it to Jesus on the cross where he dies in our place. And we have escaped the wrath and judgment of God when we have run to him and him alone who can forgive us of our sin. And, and the reason this woman loved him first and extravagantly is she understood how much a sinner she was and how much of her sin had been forgiven. All of it. When my love grows cold, it's because I forget the gravity of my sin. It is so easy to forget what Jesus did on the cross for us. And when Luke tells his story, he tells the story of the perfect man who's crucified for us. In a few moments, we're going we're gonna to go to the communion table, which is an expression and a reminder of what happened for us who were like this woman, a sinner, needing the grace and mercy of God. And, and that grace and mercy was available to that Pharisee as well, but he was too righteous in his own eyes. Believing he didn't need Jesus to be the sacrificial lamb for him. What does it take to love God deeply, extravagantly first? Is have a deep awareness of how much you've been forgiven. 
how great the grace and mercy of God is. How much it costs God to bring us into a right relationship with Him. Heard an interesting story this past week. Anybody know who Amber Branson is? Amber Branson is a girls' basketball coach in Lipton, Texas. She's a basketball coach for Lipton High School. And, and, and hearing this story, you, and, and seeing it on a, a YouTube and reading about it, it's, it's, she made reference to a relationship with God, so it's quite possible she's a believer in God, and, and she gives God the credit and glory for being able to do what she did this past weekend. But it is a mark of how much she loves something in this world. She loves girls' basketball. She uh, has two children, a little boy and a little girl, and, and uh, she was expecting her third child. And this happened to be that her team was in the championship basketball round. She was in the semifinals of a regional section. And um, it was on Friday night, and her girls' team won the game, and she began to experience some contractions. And so at the end of the game, she left the game and got to the hospital at 9 o'clock, and she gave birth to the child at 10 o'clock. Ladies who've had much longer um, uh, labor, she had two hours of labor. (laughs) She she didn't take any uh, medication, and... um, the whole team was expecting that she would not come back for the next game, which was on Saturday night. Well, she, uh, she came to the game on Saturday night and, and led that team to uh, come from behind victory um, uh, in that particular game, and they won the game. And they, were all, they interviewed all the players afterwards. Well, how, how, did you expect your coach to come back and to, to coach you to this game? And they go, well, we don't think we could have won if she hadn't been here because we were behind. She kind of told us how to play the game. And, and she just loves bat, girls' basketball. She loves this team. And, and she just she will do anything for us to be successful and, and, and being the best basketball players we can be. It, it's interesting. I was reading about this. The model for this girls' basketball team, 2011, is if it's easy, we don't want it. Loving God first, loving Jesus first, loving God extravagantly, loving Jesus in light of all the sin that has been forgiven will not be easy. And if it was that easy, why would we want it? Because what's really important is life, cause. Are we loving Jesus well? Are we loving him first? Is he our first love? Are we loving him extravagantly? Are we loving him passionately because we understand what happened to him on the cross on our behalf? Let's love Jesus well. Let's pray. Father, this passage really speaks about what we're going to experience just in a few moments. And for anyone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way today, this is an opportunity for them to, to take that step.
to admit their need and the wrong that's in their life, the sin that is in their life, to believe that Jesus fully paid the penalty for our sins and rose again, and to commit to follow Jesus, the Lord God and Savior. And Father, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's an opportunity for us to, to remember that most important action in all of history, the sacrifice of that perfect one on our behalf. Father, as we take of the bread and take of the cup, might we be reminded that we are sinners saved by your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.